And so I put the schedule up, and I said, let's make sure we're only fighting one team. Go! Go! You know, no more self-inflicted wounds that go, 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 you know, derail us. And uh, so get our football right exactly like we want. Go, 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 go. So on Sunday, we're fighting the opponent, in this case, Tennessee, and only Tennessee. Go, go. And uh, that, to me, was a, you know, one that I wanted to make sure we got the point across. Go, go. All right, I'm done with the talking on Dan Quinn, and it's time now to just admit what it is, and it's a team that will never get over its sloppiness. Yesterday in their 24-10 loss to the Titans. What? We lost? We did. In front of a half-empty stadium. I was told it was almost 30,000 people didn't show up. Yeah. So the Falcons are 1-3, and and yes, it's that bad. They're in last place in the NFC South. I have two letters to describe it. You ready? P-U. There's nothing special about that Titans team. Was as boring and first day of August camp as you get offensively for Tennessee, and they kicked our asses. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. A day late and a dollar short. Many, many, many dollars short. As a matter of fact, this is the Stone On Air podcast, the supposed for-profit venture. In weekly installments, this one will be the weekly dose for October 3rd, 2019. Thank you so much for finding the show. And it is a day late mainly because, uh, really, it's as simple as I got drunk. Shocking news. Stop the presses. New and never-before-found information has come to light. Brian got drunk, and it affected his performance, (laughs) regardless of what that performance might be. Uh, it uh, It is pretty much that simple. It is my vacation week, my third and final vacation week of the year, but I have been using that extra time to um, to work on other things, to play some catch-up here and there, and uh, get ready to leave for the beach. So by the time you hear this, the chances are very likely that I am already uh, in, in Orange Beach, Alabama, or at least I'll be on my way, depending how quickly you make it to the show. So... I took off the day job. I still worked plenty of radio. I'm going to talk some um, about what I did this week with Nick Lutzko and play his brand new single that uh, we premiered on the radio earlier this week. And you can, I mean, you can go stream it and download or listen to it anywhere, but I am going to play it in its entirety later on this show. He gave me the permission to do that. The first time I've ever played a song on a podcast where I actually had permission and legally could do so. But so... Um, was working a lot with the radio. That was a lot of fun. And uh, catching up around the house, of course. You know, you think, oh, I've got all this extra time. I'm going to get so much done now that I have all this extra time. Yeah, right. <laughs> not not going to get much of anything done, or at least not nearly um, much more than just scratching the surface of a to-do list. So let's see. Monday, I just did what I normally would do on a Monday because uh, my, my work day is a lot easier on a Monday. And I didn't do really much. I just kind of chilled and, uh, you know, laid around and did a couple of small things, but nothing really all that much. Now, Tuesday, I did some radio work. Now, Tuesday, hit it hard, um, working uh, some radio stuff in the middle of the day. But primarily, let me take that back. Actually, I did a ton Monday. What the hell am I talking about? I'm see, getting my days mixed up. I'm recording podcasts that are, uh, that are released a day later. I'm doing radio shows days before they're actually happening. My days get all kinds of mixed up. Monday was all kinds of of uh, recording and work with Let's Go and his band members. And um, so, that, yeah, that was what Monday was till late. Tuesday was, 
wake up and have most everything already loaded up for the show for Tuesday afternoon's Alt 98.7 drive time show. And I woke up at, uh, my girlfriend leaves to take her daughter to school at 7.20, or did I take her to school that day? I think I took her to school that day. I can't remember. Whatever it was, it was around 8.30, and I realized I'm not getting to sleep. I'm not tired. She had to leave to go do some other things for the morning, and I cracked a beer at uh, 8.45. It was the first one. I was Snapchatting it. I was not putting it on other social media, just put it on the Snapchat or on the social media Snapchat that virtually nobody sees. <clears throat> and then I had another beer, and the next thing I know, it's like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, and beer's boring me already. So I'm listening to music, and I had two gin and tonics, and um, for that point that was too much to be to be drinking uh, i did have a big bagel uh something egg and cheese bagel that i got from whole foods so i had a stomach full of food so that was good but so then i crash out i take a hard nap late morning into the early afternoon i have to run some errands and do a few things and um, i meet a friend in that i work with uh that we used to drink at the warehouse at the day job a lot we called it happy hour well, we you know, that's a long story, but that's not a thing anymore. We're not that's that's a no no. Can't do that anymore. Um, once upon a time, we used to drink at my day job all day, every day. Not quite literally, but close. And so I met him in a different parking lot, and we had a few more beers and listened to some music. And uh, then I went to a friend's house in North Chat, kind of a family gathering, and had another drink and another couple of beers. Next thing you know, I've been drinking since nine nine o'clock in the morning. And we get back to the house, and I just crash out hard. I mean, just I'm out by 10 o'clock at night. Maybe 9.30 is when I started to kind of stump. I wasn't sloppy, messy, you know, making a, a scene drunk. It was just one of those, all right, dude, all right, everybody, enough. Lights lights out. I'm out. But so I had already done a good amount of pre-production for the show, and I definitely wanted to do it, especially since I had all this extra free time. And I'm thinking to myself that night, half drunk, like, all right, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll go to bed at like, you know, at 10, and that's going to get me a good 8, 10, 12 hours of sleep. And then I'll knock this out in the late morning, and then I'll just release it, you know, around, you know, make it available for download around noon or 1. And, you know, so it still gets its Wednesday download. I highly doubt most people wake up and can't wait for the first thing they do that day. To, to listen to my podcast. I'd like to think every damn one of you do, do that, but I, I'm pretty sure that's not what everybody does. So that'll probably work. Well, I stayed in bed until noon. <laughs> and we're leaving on Thursday uh, as early as we can, which was not going to be as early as I wanted to be. No matter what time it is, I'm going to wish we have left earlier. The Braves start game one at 4 o'clock on Thursday the 3rd, so I want to get going, going, going. We are going to Central Time Zone in Orange Beach, Alabama, which means it's going to be 3 damn o'clock, so I'm going to likely miss a good portion of uh, of Game 1, and um, that's irritating, but it's okay. We'll make it work. I'm not mad about it at all. So, anyway, I figured Wednesday night, we'll finish throwing this together, and on the front end, that was Dan Quinn <clears throat> from the Atlanta Falcons, and that team is just plain ridiculous. I was in Atlanta this past weekend to see the Titans beat the hell out of the Falcons. Man, was that so much fun. So great. It makes me wonder, why do I spend all this money, all this thousands of dollars, all this travel, all this time going to crappy Nissan Stadium, which I've always said it's a, it's a fine enough stadium to go watch a football game in. I mean, it really is. It's comfortable enough. It works. But there's nothing special about it. And the team, generally speaking, always sucks. And you get the worst extremes of weather, 98 degrees, two and a half, three weeks ago. And then you're going to get a, a, you know, a 10, 15, 20 degree day in January, likely, or December. And it's like, what am I doing? The prices are out of this world at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. And in Atlanta, $7 draft beers. $1.50 hot dogs, $15 doubles. I know to some people these numbers still sound high. If you frequent any stadiums around the country, whether it be baseball, football, or for concerts in arenas, if you frequent these at all, you know that $7 drafts, $15 doubles, $2 dogs, $2 waters, $2 uh, peanuts, $2 popcorn, you know that that is living cheap. That is incredible. You don't find that. Now, 
the tickets to see Atlanta Falcons games, I would venture to guess, are some of the most expensive in the NFL. They very well might be with all the PSLs and all that jargon. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Luckily, I have a friend who has season tickets to Falcons games, and he gave me a pair and uh, just said, hey, you know, next time I'm in Nashville and I want to go to a game, you get me. And it was one of those. So that was a really fun, inexpensive trip, just a day trip down to Atlanta and back. I was back home by 7 o'clock uh, at Amigos having a bite back on the couch and calling it a night. It was, uh, it was a great way to start this vacation week, and I don't understand why stadiums can't do this. Why can't why doesn't uh, Titans in Nashville and Nissan Stadium do this? Why doesn't all these stadiums that are struggling to put people in the seats because people are realizing how big of a ripoff this is? Why don't they just knock down a little on these prices and say, "Hey, we're lowering concession prices because we know that that sixteen ounce can of Miller Lite beer that you're drinking on at your house cost you a buck fifty, and we charge you ten? That's wrong." We'll charge you seven. We'll, we'll at least be close to the same amount as the cheapest of any team in the league. Come to our stadium and watch our team play, and we will put, give you some of the cheapest prices you're going to find in the country. How the hell is that not the biggest selling point you could possibly come up with? It's, it's, it's frustrating. And, and I know, being in the beer industry, I know how much this costs. A case of 24-ounce, or excuse me, 16-ounce Miller Lite cans, light beer across the board, whether it's Bud Light, they're all, they're all competitively at, all at the same price point, is $24.99. Basically a buck a bottle, buck a can. And they're charging me 10 And it is a sad state of affairs when they charge you $7, $7 in Atlanta, and I feel like I'm getting a deal. And I'm not even talking about a, a, can, a can beer, $7. That still pisses me off a little bit. But I want a draft beer. I want to buy something that I can't get at home. If I'm going to go out and overspend and come to your, you know, your place of business, I want to be able to get something I enjoy that I can't get at home, even if I have to overpay. Well, I got 16 ounce Miller Lights all over the house, bro. But I don't have a dra- I don't have a keg kegerator. I don't have draft beer, so I'll gladly give you seven bucks for a tall, cold Miller Light draft. And the Titans just don't have those kinds of selections, and they don't have virtually any kind of inexpensive um, eating options, even though I don't eat a lot when I go to these games because I eat beforehand, but it's still nice to have that option. All right, let's see. Let's move along. So coming up, it's going to be a two-segment show. I am going to play a bunch of audio. This is just kind of kind of be one of those, I've done it before, you know, I do it here and there, where I go through all my news and my notes to self on my phone and like a literal on the you know piece of paper here where I just jot down stuff, and this is where I'm just going to kind of filter all those out. So coming up next segment, I'm going to have audio from uh, John Kasich, Bernie Sanders from 1987, Yang, what's his first name? I can't even remember right now. Yang for president, Yang 2020. Um, th- just a little bit of politics, not a lot. Just some kind of just few few comments. Uh, Nick Lutzko's new song, Software, in its entirety. A uh, Tommy Chong spoof video of a, uh, I don't remember what brand of car it is, but the the one with Matthew McConaughey where he goes, I was driving Lincoln. I was driving a Lincoln before I ever got paid to drive Lincoln. Well, Tommy Chong does a, a, a spoof video on that. And then this great song that even if you like baseball, you're not you're going to have trouble getting it without watching the video. So I'll direct you in the direction to find the video. Um, it is lyrics or it's words from baseballreference.com to the setting of Wonderwall by Oasis. And if you are a, if you're a fan of Oasis and you're a fan of baseball and you're a fan of just goofy shit, you're really going to like this. But you've really got to watch the video. But um, it's only like a minute, maybe a minute and a half, so I, I don't mind playing that. And just if, if it interests you, you should go check it out. If it doesn't, uh, it'll be done in a couple minutes. And then three cuts from uh, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad. He played Hank in Breaking Bad. The new movie is coming out. El Camino is the name of it. Uh, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, and he joined Dan Lebitard on ESPN Radio, and I grabbed a couple clips, and I'm going to talk TV and movies, not so much this episode, but another one here into the future. So a couple things to hit on here um, real quick. All right, let's see. Um, So the other day when the Braves won the National League East, I put on Twitter, the Atlanta Braves have won the National League Championship in 2019, something like that. Well, if you're paying attention to the words I just said, that's blatantly wrong. The national, the Braves did not win the National League. They won the National League East. Of anything I 
posted that week, that tweet got more likes and retweets than any tweet I've sent out in a couple of weeks. Now, it's only like five or six likes and a retweet. But that's, that's just a small microcosm of how bad information is just spread. And people don't even pay attention to what they're sharing and what they're regurgitating. And it's the whole tell me what you know, not what you heard world that I try to come from and try to preach for everybody to be in. I got more likes and retweets on Twitter when I sent out a bad information text. Completely on accident. I didn't mean to. But uh, that's just a perfect example. Uh, let's see. I talked about MBS. Um, <clears throat> this is way out of nowhere topic, but have you? this has been going on for many years now. Why can't kids under the age of 18, when they can work at a, um, at a grocery store and they can run checkout, right? They can be the cashiers, but they can't scan beer. The beer can sit there in front of them. The beer can be in my buggy or in my basket. The beer can then now be handled and pushed down the conveyor belt, grabbed by another kid under the age 18, and put in a in a cart. But for some reason, kids can't scan the beer. Like, if they scan it, they're somehow going to be, you know, stained by the, uh, the debauchery that is alcohol consumption. I mean, what... Where did this law or rule or regulation or guideline come into place? I don't think it was that way when I was that age, 20, you know, 25 years ago. Maybe it was. I never worked at a cashier um, as a cashier at a grocery store, but I knew a lot of people did. And I don't remember that being a thing. So every time if if, if the the line is open, I'm going to let somebody else do the work for me. I don't want to self-checkout unless I just have a few things and I'm in a hurry and I don't want to deal with anybody. But if I'm not in a hurry and I, you know, the line's not long, I'm going to pull up and go through there just because, I mean, this is your, you're paid to do this. You do it. Um, there's plenty of annoyances that come with it for sure. And sometimes I just bypass it if I'm not in the mood. But if I got to stop and wait every time I have some beer, which I have beer at the grocery store purchases way more now. That are basically all the time because I uh, my day job doesn't allow us to uh, just get beer for free like my old day job used to. Um, that's just that's just effing annoying. And you know, code one, two, three, whatever. Let's just sit around and wait and whistle and talk about the weather until somebody comes and scans it for them. Uh, that's something I absolutely do not uh, do not know. Let's or do not like, I guess I should say, and do not know why. And as I get closer to wrapping up this first segment, let's take a look at what... Oh, this this White Claw thing, have you seen this? Um, the hard seltzers, the hard uh, sparkling waters. It is insane how popular this has gotten, and this is the kind of thing that I drink all the... Oops. This is the kind of thing I drink all of the time. Um, the non-alcoholic types. I don't like the the ones with alcohol in them because I... Well, first of all, I don't just don't believe the advertising all that much. You'll give so refreshing and uh, and so little carbs and so little this and you'll get drunk, too. I don't know. I light beer works for me just as well. And the ingredients aren't that much uh, more piled on. I guess there's a several more carbs, not really as many calories, but um, it is taken off. And I'm glad because that's a big po- piece of our portfolio at my day job. And. I think it is a uh, the marketing is incredible. This is where I wonder when people talk about they don't like advertising. Oh, I don't get all these ads out of here. Do you know why White Claws taken off with it before this year started and all the other brands, the offshoots that come along with these hard seltzers and hard sparkling waters? You know, the reason why they took off is because of the marketing campaigns. Uh, remember the year of, and I'm just making up these. I'm not making them up, but I don't remember what years or which, but. There was a, a, a hard lim- well hard lemonade was kind of one of the first ones Zima first and then Mike's hard lemonade, but more recently there's been the uh, Angry Orchard, apple crisp cider. Well, that was a product rolled out by Sam Adams a couple years ago, whenever it was, with a massive marketing push across the country. Sold the hell out of the stuff. Same deal with the hard iced tea. People still drink the hard iced tea now, but there was a, a, a concentrated effort. To say this is the year we're going to sell the hell out of uh, of, of the hard tea. Um, over the years, you can just look at all the kinds of different uh, fads that come and go. 
whether they come from the craft beer world or, or whichever, you know, Smirnoff once upon a time, and there was hard colas and hard root beers and not your father's root beer, not your father's ginger ale and all these different kinds of flavors and, and brands, and they all fall off. People still who like them might still drink them occasionally, but they all still fall off. But what do they all have in common? The same thing that White Claw had and the, uh, the other brands that are comparable to it. At the beginning of this year, they said, this is the year of the White Claw. This is the year of the hard seltzer. We are going to sell the bleep out of this stuff. And they do a massive online, TV, radio, print, every single medium, and they just force this advertising in front of everybody's face. And guess what happens? Look around. Everybody is drinking these hard seltzers. Until when? I don't know. Probably until next year, whenever the next major beer company decides that they're going to have their next push. We don't like advertising. I'd say it's the exact opposite. This country craves advertising wouldn't know what to do with themselves without it they wouldn't be able to make up their own mind most people walking around most numb nuts just you know kind of kicking their can down the road don't know what they like don't know what they should be doing and can't figure out what to think or say without somebody else telling them what it is we love advertising i love advertising just from a, 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 a art standpoint just from a, a, a production standpoint and i like advertising too to help me figure out you know, what the trends are, what I'm going to maybe be into next. And uh, I think most people would agree with that if they were honest. But we've just somehow this thing of just, I can't have any commercials. Well, we all, we all benefit from advertising in one form or another. All right, so I'm going to get out of here and play a bunch of audio next. And then I'll wrap up the show, and then I'm off to the beach. Right, be right back. More of Stone on Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At StoneOnAir.com. The president continues to believe, against all the evidence, that there were very fine people on both sides at the alt-right neo-Nazi white supremacists Unite the Right rally that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, two summers ago. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. When I saw those folks in Charlottesville coming out of the fields, carrying torches, contorted faces, their veins bulging, shouting the same anti-Semitic bile that was shouted in the streets of Nuremberg and Berlin and throughout Germany in the 30s, accompanied by the Ku Klux Klan. And when the president was asked when a young woman was killed, asked to respond, he said, well, there were very fine people in both groups. There's very fine people. They want to kill your son. There's very fine people. Welcome back to the show. Andy White. I was recently turned on to this song and this singer-songwriter by a friend of mine. Very fine people. It's a great song. Very, very, very cool song. And when Trump says in that quick clip I had there, you're trying to change history, you're trying to change culture... Well, no, the history part I get, because a lot of that had to do with start, you know, we want to take down busts and uh, monuments to, you know, Civil War Confederate, you know, generals or whatever the hell the flavor of the month or week was back then. Kind of strange. Look around. Nobody really cares about that anymore. Um, so when you talk about wanting to erase history or change history, I, I get that. And he's not wrong. That, that's foolish. You know, let's, let's try to make everybody feel better by getting rid of everything that reminds, of, uh, reminds us of the past, even if it's, even if it's bad. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing good about that. But you're trying to change culture. Well, yeah, a lot of times that's what some people are trying to do. I talked about it last, you know, last podcast about being a product of your culture and your learned behavior. Sometimes cultures need to be shifted up. Sometimes cultures need to be... Uh, reinvented, reevaluated, and 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 change, and and if that's what people were trying to do in any given setting, I, I mean, I guess unless I just completely disagreed with the change, I, uh, you know, I would just make up my mind uh, case by case, 
And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to change the culture around them so a different perspective can be given to whatever the hell it is somebody is pissed off about this week that they'll forget about next week. Um, one thing I forgot, I didn't get to, uh, um, I guess because we're 25 years removed from, uh, well, I guess it's, is it 24, was it 95 that OJ got acquitted? I think it was 95, pretty sure. So we're almost, we're 24 years removed from all that. And this uh, came down sometime this week and it's absolutely appalling, except for it's almost, I hate to say it, it's almost funny. It's almost funny. O.J. Simpson has been very active on Twitter this year and maybe even some of last year, but certainly a lot of this year. Or when the hell did he get out of jail? I don't know. Whenever. This is what he tweeted on. Oh, yeah, this was just yesterday. On October 2nd, 2019, O.J. Simpson at the underscore O.J. Simpson 32 tweeted, killed it on the golf course today. New Nike glove worked. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait. Juice. Juice. What? Quote, killed it on the golf course today. Exclamation point. New Nike glove worked. (laughs) How? How is that real? How did that happen? The first response is, this isn't real. You're not real. None of us is real. Please wake me up now. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And in more Twitter news, the asshole president is at it again, tweeting uh, something about the do-nothing Democrats and I'm tired of all this bullshit. So now we've graduated and, you know, it's just one extreme. Just every extreme just gets pushed a little bit more in everything in life, no matter what it is, from violence to what you can get away with on TV to what you can get away with in life, what you can get away with in uh, in, in any situation that you're in. Oh, well, now uh, nobody seems to care that I get more and more over the top. Now I'll start cussing in my tweets. You know, I don't give two shits about that. But, you know, again, I'm this is supposed to be a hallowed, sacred position Right, that we're supposed to all, you know, take our hats off for and stand at attention. Screw you, President of the United States. Screw you, whoever you are. Piss off. Go to hell, whoever the president is, uh, because you're not doing anything for anybody other than yourself and the lobbyists and the people around you. You're not. You're not doing public service. That's gross. That's been the fakest, stupidest shit ever. Yeah. Screw off, President. I ain't got no time for you. I don't care if your name is Trump or uh, anybody else for that matter. All right. So let's start uh, playing with some audio. We will start with some of the more uh, political-based stuff here right off the bat, and then it'll get more fluffy as it goes along. Uh, Andrew Lang, who is this guy? I didn't give him any credit whatsoever to begin with. And I saw Tim Kelly the other day um, on uh, Facebook put a very good, not necessarily an endorsement that that's who he's voting for, but this, hey, this guy might not be as half you know, as kooky as a lot of people think. Andrew Yang, he is 44 years old, entrepreneur, lawyer, and philanthropist. He is a founder of Venture for America, a nonprofit that focuses on creating jobs in struggling American cities. Yang is the author of the 2014 book, Smart People Should Build Things, and the 2018 book, The War on Normal People. Uh, Yang's signature policy is what he calls the Freedom Dividend. A universal basic income, a UBI, in the form of $1,000 monthly for every American adult over the age of 18. Yang believes that UBI is a necessary response to the rapid development of automation, which is increasingly leading to workforce challenges, and that job displacement by automation is what led to Donald Trump's election in 2016. The other two central elements of his platform are Medicaid for All and Human-Centered capitalism more than 160 policy proposals you can find at his website which is yang2020.com this is his closing arguments from or his closing remarks from one of the most recent debates mr yang you have 45 seconds for your closing first i want to thank everyone who put me on the stage tonight i am proof that our democracy still works democrats and americans around the country have one question for their nominee And that is, who can beat Donald Trump in 2020? That is the right question. 
And the right candidate to beat Donald Trump will be solving the problems that got Donald Trump elected and will have a vision of a trickle-up economy that is already drawing thousands of disaffected Trump voters, conservatives, independents, and libertarians, as well as Democrats and progressives. I am that candidate. I can build a much broader coalition to beat Donald Trump. It is not left. It is not right. It is forward. And that is where I'll take the country in 2020. I have been talking more and more recently and somewhat flippantly, but overall kind of meaning it, that I am on the way to turning into a full-blown libertarian um, and giving everybody $1,000 a month uh, or whatever it is, his uh, UBI. Um, yeah, I, I, when he explains it, I can, I can understand where he's coming from. Like he says things that make sense. But I don't know that that is necessarily the direction we go. But I, I do believe fundamentally, fundamentally, I like where Andrew Yang comes from. What I like most about Bernie is that he has always been the same guy decade after decade after decade with the same mission statements and the same rallies, rallying cries. Now, that doesn't mean he's always completely on it. I think he is most of the time. But there's something to say about somebody who never wavers, never flip-flops, never has to go back and explain what he said once upon a time back in the day. He's always true to his word. This is Bernie Sanders in 1987. The point being that if you don't think that raising temperature a few degrees is an enormous consequence, you're very wrong. Because it it doesn't mean just that, oh boy, I'm assuming a few more days, it means that the type of, of rays that come down from the sun will make us vulnerable to disease. It will have an impact on the polar caps in melting them. And it gets back to the, the point that she made, which is that everything relates to everything else. Okay, when that loudspeaker interrupted us, it relates to us. It relates to the conversation that we have. Everything relates to everything else. The environment is a very, very fragile system of interrelationships and if one thing is disrupted it'll have an effect on everything else and i should have uh, just let you know the context of where he was at and who he was talking to he was talking to children uh quite literally elementary school children and the reason he says it's kind of grainy audio i know it's kind of hard to hear but he says uh just because it's warmer doesn't mean you can go swimming for a few extra days because he said before that well what would happen if it stayed warmer longer and somebody was like, ah, oh, we could go swimming for a, f- a couple extra days. You know, so you understand where he's coming from. And um, I'm not, you know, a huge, uh, you know, advocate in the climate change uh, world of ideology and um, focus. I believe in it. I believe that it's important. I just, I like there's only so many battles you can choose to fight in uh, this world when you have such a small voice. It's one that I'm not as vocal about, but I believe in 100%. I mean, it's it's one of those I say, you know, uh, I've used this kind of stupid uh, comparison. Get a fishbowl, right, and give it its kind of what's its, its surroundings, its environment, its controlled environment, and then dump a Coca-Cola in there and walk away from it for a week. You know, dump a, a beer in it for or a glass of wine. Or just throw any other kind of contaminants into a um, into an ecosystem, and it's gonna it's gonna create it's gonna create havoc on that small little ecosystem. That's true in every single ecosystem you know uh, known on the on the planet. If you if you if you're toxic towards it, it's going to be a uh, a chain reaction of events. Some of them might not be all that bad, and some of them might be potentially catastrophic. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little, um, a little overly dramatic, but you know, no. I believe in science, and I believe that we are polluting the shit out of our world. I just don't know exactly what you do about it. I mean, I want to live the life I live, and I can't walk around and pollute like I do, and then be like, oh, I'm mad as hell about climate change. Well, I mean, what about all the stuff you do to pollute everything? What about all the water you waste? I'm talking you, me, you know, the general you also, but talking about me. What about what about all the energy and electricity you drain from the system every single day? Um, what are you? What am I? What are we doing to fix this issue? To make this a better place? What? And most of the time, the answer is we're not doing a damn thing. And we can get mad as hell. I'm mad. I'm mad. Let's talk about it. I'm gonna get on Facebook and tell you how wrong you are. 
Meanwhile, I've, you know, left the kitchen light on all day long, left the, the hose on outside and, uh, you know, threw a cigarette butt out the window, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's difficult for me to, uh, to spend a lot of time on that because I don't, we want to live this luxurious life we live in. And I, and, and that, that also coming with that means we are wasteful. And, um, I, uh, I don't know. I wish I had a better, I wish I had something better to say about it than that, but I really don't. Uh, this is my guy. This is why I think he should be president right now. John Kasich, former governor from Ohio, talking about what people pretend to care about, but they don't actually care about it. Look, in 97, I worked with Democrats and Republicans, and we got the first balanced budget since we'd walked on the moon. We paid down the largest amount of debt. Uh, in modern history of the public debt. We had great economic growth and we actually had surpluses. Now, I said this to some people the other night at, at dinner and they thought I'd been drinking. They said, well, wait a minute, when did that ever happen? Think about this, a trillion dollars a year in debt. And at some point, you got to pay it. It's a claim on, on, on our, well, it's a claim on our, our kids' futures, grandchildren's futures, uh, it just doesn't go away. And it's it's very, very serious. And at some point, we're going to have to pay the piper. There's no two ways about it. A yeah. trillion dollars a year. And you're right. Republicans forgot about it. The Democrats forgot about it. It's I always say, look, the difference between Republicans and Democrats yeah. is the Republicans, they spend just like the Democrats. They just feel guilty about it. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> the Republicans don't feel guilty about it at all. Uh, the truth of the matter is nobody cares about the debt. And what was leading up to that story, um, his commentary was that we are approaching this year faster than had been uh, projected that we are going to be at $1 trillion in debt this year. Um, it wasn't that long ago that the debt was at like $5 trillion. It was like 15, 12, some odd years ago. When, um, when Obama took over, I'm pretty sure it was around 12 or 13. And he spent like crazy, spent like crazy, also saved the economy. I mean, you can look around and, you know, this Don Trump made the economy great thing is, is about as farce of a, of a lie as you could possibly come up with. Now, there's things that have happened that have helped continue steady growth. But this idea that the economy got good because of Trump, that's just what numbnuts walk around talking about. That's just not the truth of the matter. Um, he hasn't done anything to mess it up yet. But Obama, because of all his spending to bail everybody out who needed fixing, is what fixed the uh, the economy and led to tons of debt and nobody cares about it and it's it's amazing you know Kasich talks about right there that he was working in congress or whatever his role was in the late 90s with bill clinton when they balanced a budget for the first time and since the 60s are you kidding me like once or twice in like 50 or 60 years if we had a single year balanced budget that's not paying any money back towards the debt that's just not borrowing anymore what in the hell kind of whacked out world are we living in that this is okay? And it's, you know, most people walk around, don't care about their own debt. Why would they care about the United States of America? All right, let's play the brand new song from Nick Lutzko. Get away from anything serious here and just kind of dick around on the way out here in the final uh, last handful of minutes of this podcast, the weekly dose for October 3rd, 2019. This is brand new from Nick Lutzko. The new record is going to be released on October 25th at a live show at The Signal. And this debuted on Alt 98.7 with me on the radio show on Tuesday. It's available for streaming and download as of Wednesday. And today, when the show is available for download, it is Thursday. This is brand new music from Nick Lutzko. It is called Software. We all were born helpless. We're numb to the pain. I'm aboard the propeller Out the way we came I saw how you suffered I was covered in shame I take offense at my comfort
simple solution Screaming it goes It's all about the display music just gets better and better and now he's got adam brown helping him mix and master and record music as well it is some good stuff looking forward to the show at the signal for the full release of the new record all right let's see totally screwing around on the way out here i'm going to talk movies and um and tv shows and my thoughts on them as a whole and uh kind of a new idea i'm going to have uh, later on in the year uh, about some podcasts I might or might not do, but it got me thinking about it even more because on the Dan Lebitard show on ESPN Radio, Dean Norris, who played the um, uh, the brother of the main character, Walter White, Hank, or his brother-in-law, I should say, Hank Schrader, and uh, he talks about the show with uh, Lebitard because the new movie is coming out, the next straight to Netflix uh, flick called El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, kind of a wrap-up of what happens to Jesse post the TV show. I mean, the show ended in 2013. I don't think I have to worry about spoilers at this point, even though I don't think I'm going to have any. But he, uh, just a couple quick uh, clips here, he said, um, what did you initially think, the question was to Dean Norris, about the script Breaking Bad when it was given to you? You know, it, it, look, it, it, you read that script, and I've read a lot of pilot scripts, I've been in a lot of pilots, we're like, this is the best thing ever. But we had a lot of concern that, you know, the, the, the public might not get it, you know. I mean, they tried to sell that show for two years. Everybody turned it down. You know what I'm saying? Everybody. So uh, we kind of felt like, wow, this is the best show ever, but no one's going to watch it. And no one did it first, you know. And we were lucky we were on AMC. They didn't know any better. They had to keep us on. And finally people started finding it and uh, kind of saw what we saw on the show. And we were all very pleasantly surprised that, uh, that uh, we got to stay on as long as we did. That's pretty interesting that they shopped it for two years, and I get that. I get that uh, the idea of the show being, you know, what? Why would I, I want to watch that? I remember it was in 2007, 2008, right at the uh, writer's uh, strike that the show first started. And they only had seven episodes the first season because of that writer's strike. And my brother would watch a lot of TV. He was like, hey, man, you didn't watch this show about this guy who gets cancer and then sells meth to uh, support his family. I'm like, yeah, all right. Another drug dealing movie or show. Can't wait for that one. 
uh, I was foolish at first, as were a lot of people. And then as time went on, people realized, holy hell, this is a really damn good show. Uh, the next question from the Dan Lebetard show from ESPN Radio to Dean Norris was, when did you realize you actually had something pretty big on your hands here with Breaking Bad? Yeah, I think it was around the third season. You know, at first people were like, what channel? What? Where, where's the NC? What, where, you know, what was it? They only had one show, you know, Mad Men. Uh, and by the third season, we had started, people started coming up to us and really kind of, especially in the business, you know, and people really started coming up and going, hey, man, you know, this is the best show we've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. And then they just took off like a rocket between five and six. Um, and, uh, you know, for about, a, for about six months, we were like the Rolling Stones, you know? I think he, I, I might be mistaken. I thought I thought it was only five seasons, but the final season was split up into two, one half and second half. I thought I thought that's how it went. Uh, I might be wrong on that, but either way, by the time uh, the end of the season series came around in 2013, uh, streaming was becoming a normal thing, and being able to watch shows and binge them was was starting to actually. That was part of the conversation they were having on the Levitard show. Was this is where I found out what binge watching TV was all about? I've actually watched Breaking Bad all the way through two times and that is not like me on the way uh, on the final one here from dean norris on the lebitard show um the new the movie el camino the wrap-up of the entire series focusing on jesse pinkman um is coming out october 11th they're like what can you tell us about the movie yeah, I'm excited, but I can't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys were, you guys were a betting show. I'll give you that. The over-under on me saying anything is zero. Jim Gilligan's a very secret guy, man. I mean, they filmed the whole thing in uh, in, in, in secrecy, and uh, he just doesn't like things coming out before it comes out, you know? It is amazing how they did fo- film this entire movie with just, like, rumors, and but, but no rumors that really ever got any kind of traction. They did it on almost complete secrecy, and that is unheard of these days. Two more clips, and then we'll wrap up the show this week. You know the commercials from Matthew McConaughey for Lincoln, talking about you know where he's clicking a pin and he's looking all smooth and cool. And yeah, I've been driving these Lincoln since before I was paid to drive a Lincoln. I mean, it's about class and style and smooth and what you know, whatever. I'm making that up. Uh, this is Cheech, or not Cheech and Chong, just Tommy Chong by himself, a spoof of that commercial. You know, I've been smoking weed since long before anyone paid me to smoke weed. I love it. Did you ever realize that you're not in traffic? You are the traffic. You know, some people say you can't go back. But sure you can. You just put the car in reverse. Whoa. I thought this was a 405. <laughs> That's a lot of bull. There's a big bull in the middle of the street. Maybe hallucinating. Siri, how do you move a bull off the road? Showing results for how to blow your load. Come on, Siri. We don't have time for this. The time is 420. Your appointment with parole officer starts in 10 minutes. Oh, shit. And dude, you smell like a sack of sour diesel. To avoid jail time, use a chunk swipe to remove the smell of weed from your clothing prior to appointment. Okay, directions to parole officer. You have been parked at your destination for 30 minutes. Well, thanks for being responsible, Siri. He can never be Siri, us, can he? See, I can say funny shit, too. I thought that was pretty good. I've been sitting on that one for a little while, waiting for a good time to use it. And let's wrap up the show with one that I just thought was hysterical. The video really helps make it funny. Um, If baseball isn't your thing, you're not going to think it's funny at all. Even if baseball is your thing. I'm such a dork about it. You might still not funny find it funny at all. But search it out if you want to watch the video. It's from a Twitter handle, Don Zimmer, Z-E-M-M-E-R. Like Don Zimmer, the longtime player back in the day, but mostly known by my generation or maybe a little older or less 
as the coach, uh, the manager of the Cubs in the late 80s. Many different bench coaches for many different teams. He was on uh, Joe Torre's staff with the Yankees during their run in the uh, early 2000s, primarily, maybe the late 90s as Joe Torre's bench coach for the Yankees, Yankees Don Zimmer. This is the account on Twitter, Don Zemmer, Z-E-M-M-M-E-R, and I think you can find a YouTube channel and all that stuff, too. It is, uh, I don't know what the hell it's called, but it's taking baseball names based on running through um, uh, names on baseball reference to the tune of Oasis's Wonderwall. Uh, as an Oasis fan and a baseball fan, it doesn't get a heck of a lot better than this. Toddy is gunning BD Day, Thatcher gunning thrower back to you. Bynum, a short of some how real is what you got to do. Modern bullied at Sandy Bias, frill, Bob Way, you doubt, you Buddha shall. Backy, Fred Worden, and a street that your fires into hearts allowed. Den Shore, Blaine Hardy, round the floor, butters never silly had a doubt. Mike to believe a tenial body, frilling when I dooms up a glass now. And Arthur Rhodes speaks half a walker twining. <laughs> and all light, Todd Lind and Neil, Burp Lilevin. Burp Lilevin. Thurman Monson in Jandy. Fence like to say taboon, but I done Rose how. <laughs> I love it. B. Krause, maybe. D. Gordon, D.D. Wong, Joe Savory. And F.L. Gorge on Vanderwall. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that is as dumb as hell. Uh, I just absolutely loved it. All right, I am done. I am tired. I'm ready to take it to the beach, the orange beach of Alabama, to be exact. And uh, I don't go to the beach all that often, so I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for finding this rambling-ass podcast. It is just my commentary on the passing parade of life, and I know that that is... Um, that is quite the gamble to hope that people actually want to listen to, and I love you to death if that is something that uh, even kind of sparks your interest. Will there be a show next week? I do not know. I will be getting back late Monday night. That will leave me only Tuesday to prepare for a show. If things go well and there's something worth talking about and something pops up, then absolutely we'll do a show next week. If not, I might take that week off. Either way, I'll let you know via social media. Y'all have a great weekend. The Three Sisters Bluegrass Festival is where I would be this weekend if I was in Chattanooga, but I won't be. So if you do, Peter Rowan, Friday night. He played for years with the Jerry Garcia Band, and uh, man, that's my biggest regret, missing uh, Peter Rowan on Friday night. Go Braves. Enjoy some playoff baseball out there. We'll do it again here soon. Y'all have a good night.